All right. All right. Acts chapter number 25. All, all in all, I am so grateful and thankful to be here tonight. I, I am so glad that, that we have the opportunity to, to, to come together, to, to learn and to grow. And this is what we're going to do tonight. We usually, a lot of times, we'll take two or three uh, lessons out of one chapter. But tonight, we're going to put two chapters together because they really cover, they really cover the, same, uh, the same situation and so I wanted to put these together and, uh, and so what we're going to do in, in chapter 25, we're going to do a summary. All right. We're going to kind of breeze through it, kind of, kind of speed read through it and give you the breakdown and the, uh, and a brief summary of chapter 25. And then we're going to take the, 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 the lesson itself and the, the outline out of chapter 26. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. And when we do that, we're going to look at three different contrasts. Three different contrasts com comparing things that are completely different. All right. And, and so we, we'll jump right into that and, and get started. So let's look in Acts chapter 25 in verse number one. Now, when what's that word? You have no idea. You have no idea how much of a thrill it is for a redneck. To find the name Festus in the Bible. <laughs> and all my rednecks said, Amen. Amen. All right. I see some of y'all have never watched Gunsmoke. <clears throat> you need to find it on Netflix and watch it. Amen. Now when, <laughs> I can't think of nothing else now that I see Festus. I just... Just see this redneck cowboy with this. Anyway. All right. Here we go. Now when Festus. Can y'all tell I'm glad y'all here? I'm just delirious and I'm looking at real people tonight. Amen. All right. Now when Festus was coming to the province, after three days, he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him and desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. Now this is religious leaders plotting to murder somebody. But Festus answered that Paul would be kept at Caesarea and that he himself would depart shortly thither. He tells them, let them therefore, uh, uh, let them therefore said he which among you are able Go down with me and accuse this man if there be any wickedness in him. And when he had tarried among them more than 10 days, he went down unto Caesarea and the next day sitting on the judgment seat commanded Paul to be brought. And when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. How many of y'all know that Paul did the big eye roll with it again? And he's saying, here we go again. All right. Now it says, while he answered for himself, he says, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar have I offended anything at all. But Festus willing to do the Jews a pleasure answered Paul and said, wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof they, these accuse me, 
No man may deliver me unto them. Now read it with me. I, I appeal unto Caesar. Now I want to read two, uh, let's see, just two more verses and then we'll, we'll pray. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Well, unto Caesar shalt thou go. And after certain days, King Agrippa and Bernice came unto Caesarea to salute Festus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm so grateful and thankful for your mercy, your kindness, and your love. Thank you for an auditorium that's got people in it that are hungry to, to, to study your word and to learn and to grow. Lord, it is, a, it, is, it is such a thrill to be able to see real living people in this building. And God, I thank you so much for this privilege that we have and this opportunity that we have. Lord, you know of the, uh, uh, the sickness and the virus. You know all these details. You know what's going on. And I ask for your protection. I pray that you'll just, just guide and direct. And, and Lord, move tonight. I pray that you'll speak through me. I pray that you'll use my, my mouth as a mouthpiece to, to, to declare your word. And I pray that your perfect will be done. Don't let me say anything I shouldn't. And Lord, please don't let me forget anything I should. And God will bless you and will thank you and give you the glory and the praise for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Uh, let's look in, in chapter 25. Let's skim through chapter 25. Get on into chapter 26. Uh, we, and let's just do maybe a small brief review of last week uh, for those that may have missed last week. Uh, Paul has endured trials, right? Uh, he's gone before uh, the Roman governor, uh, the procreator, the Roman governor, uh, and, and presented his case. They presented their case against him. Uh, they had a slick lawyer working with him, and, and, and he presents his case, and they come to no conclusion. All right? He can't find any problem. He can't find any fault in Paul, and, uh, but he still... He still has the responsibility of keeping the Jewish people without rioting. You know, he's trying to keep the, he's trying to keep the peace. And, and in order to keep the peace, he tries to, he tries to get good in with the Jewish people and he keeps Paul incarcerated. Are y'all with me? Say amen. For two years, for two years, he keeps him confined. He keeps him in an arrested state and, and doesn't do anything. Well, we see that Felix goes off the scene uh, he's called back to Rome. Uh, he has been, uh, he has been uh, uh, switched in place with Festus. All right. Festus, according to historians, uh, they, they have recorded that Festus was a better man. He was better than the one before and better than the one that comes after him. He cared about what was right. He wanted to do things the right way. He cared about law and order. He, he loved the Roman law. And, and so he is, he is new. He's trying to get to know. He goes from Caesarea up into Jerusalem and, and to, to do business, to get to know the people. Now keep in mind, remember, the Roman governors would live at Caesarea. That was the beach house. Remember that? Say amen. They had this mansion, this palace on the, on the coast there, and, and they would go up to Jerusalem anytime they would have business, anytime they had to keep court in Jerusalem, they would go to the Antonia Fortress there. And so here he is doing his business. It's been two years. Say that with me. It's been two years. All right, two years since they last tried Paul. And when the new governor comes, what do the, what do the Jewish people, what do the Jewish leadership do, the Sanhedrin do? They automatically hit him up and said, hey, 
Would you let us uh, let us get Paul? We, we, we got to get Paul. We, we, we need to get him. Uh, we need to try him. He's a bad dude. And they were plotting to kill him. Now, think about this. Think about this. Two years, two years, and they still hadn't let it go. Two years and they're still plotting. Here's the deal. That tells you how strong the hate of mankind can be. It can tell you how strong bitterness can be. They hated Paul. They despised Paul. Listen, they were so bitter against him. The first thing that happens when the new governor comes, they said, hey, and, and here they are plotting a plan again. And he says, no, I believe this was a, and I, I do, I believe this was the hand of God protecting Paul in this thing. He said, no, he's going to stay in Caesarea. I'm going to go back in a little while. And when I go back, whoever of you that can, you go with me and we'll, we'll, we'll hear you out. We'll hear your accusations. We'll hear what the, the charges you have against the apostle Paul. All right. So if you're with me, say amen. amen. So verse one, we have a new governor. Verse two, we have a new plot against the apostle Paul. Verse six, we have a new trial. All right. We have, we have the people that come from Jerusalem back down, back down to Caesarea and, and they bring up all of these charges and look what it says. Look, look at the key word. Look at the key word in verse seven. And when he was come, the Jews, which came down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not. They had all kinds of charges. They just didn't have no evidence. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now, what, what started this deal, what started this deal was the Ephesian Jews. If y'all remember, the Ephesian Jews had seen Paul in the temple and they thought that he had brought a Gentile into the temple and started the whole riot. Y'all, how many of y'all remember that back then? All right. Now they had done going back to Ephesus. So there's no witnesses, there's no evidence, but yet they're still trying to bring charges against him. Now, uh, he defends himself and he says, look, all he, and all he had to do here is say, nope, 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 no." Nope. And that's basically what he did. He said, I didn't do anything against Rome. I didn't do anything against the temple. I didn't do anything against the, the Jewish people. And so here we have Festus. He's left with trying to find what the deal is with the apostle Paul. All of these complaints by all these people, yet there's no evidence. And basically it comes down to their word against against his. So do we all see that? All right. He's new. He's new in town and he doesn't, he, he wants to get this thing off straight. Cause if you'll remember the Romans didn't put up with incompetence. All right. So he's got to keep the peace and, and he's thinking what in the world? He's just kind of, he's just kind of in a bind here because on the one hand, he's got to keep the peace with the Jewish people. But on the other hand, here we have a Roman citizen who has Roman rights and he's been incarcerated for two years. So he's got, he's got a, he's got to tread lightly on Paul's side too. So he's, he's kind of, he's kind of in a pickle here. So he says, I tell you what we'll do. I tell you what we'll do. Why don't we go back to Jerusalem? Why don't we just, would you, would you agree to go back to Jerusalem and, and I'll hear your case from Jerusalem? Well, Paul's got sense. He knows better. He knows he's not going to get a fair trial. He, he has people that are plotting his death. He has people that are bringing false accusations against him. Why in the world would he go back to Jerusalem? That would be crazy. I mean, this is a, this is a circus going on here and he's not going to stand for it. So Paul's got something up his sleeve. Paul is a wise man. Paul knows his Roman citizenship 
And he has the, he has the privilege as a Roman citizen to appeal his case to the highest court in the land, which would be Caesar. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Okay. I know I'm just kind of rambling here, but I'm just going through the chapter quick so we can get to the next chapter. All right. He appeals. He said, I tell you what, I'm not going back to Jerusalem. I'm not going back to Jerusalem. This, it, it, I, this, is, this, is, this is foolish. There's no evidence against me. I've not done anything wrong. Nobody can prove anything. He says, matter of fact, if I have done something worthy of death, I'll be glad to die. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not afraid to die. This is not the issue. The issue is there's no evidence. I have not done what these people have said. So I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take it to the highest court in the land. I'm going to appeal to Caesar. And so Festus says, okay. He says, if that's where you want to go, that's where we're going to go. Now, somebody shows up. Somebody shows up. Uh, we have King Herod. King Herod Agrippa shows up, which would be King Herod Agrippa II. And so I, I, I wrote down in your notes, and, and some of y'all, if you've been through this act study a lot, uh, we've done done this. We've done done this several times. But if, if, you, if you're not careful, it's easy to get confused because as you're going through the gospels, you're going to see a bunch of different Herods. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Uh, there's Herod the Great. There's Herod Antipas. There's Herod uh, Agrippa the first, Herod Agrippa the second. And they all, they all are weasels. Say amen. I mean, it's all wicked, 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 wicked. Just the Herodian dynasty, incestuous, just, just, and you'll see that in a minute. But anyway, we'll look at all these. So, so if you're here tonight for the first time, you will understand which particular King Herod this was. Okay. Uh, now they show up, they show up. And, and so, and I'll explain in just a second on that. All right. Uh, uh, they, that, uh, King Herod Agrippa II shows up with Bernice. All right. Now, naturally, you would think this is his wife. This is his wife. But this is not his wife. This is his sister who is living as his wife. Ooh. I really expected a, a little stronger response than what y'all gave me. That's weird, people. This was rumored that they had an incestuous relationship. It was confirmed by Josephus, the historian. All right, this tells you the kind of people that Paul is being tried by. We're not, we're not talking about, we're not talking about, we're not talking about good moral people. Are y'all with me? And so this is who the man of God is standing before. King Herod Agrippa II and his sister Bernice. When you find, anytime you see King Herod Agrippa II, you'll find Bernice. They're, they're, they're together. And, 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 and she, if you study any more behind her, she goes back to Rome and is a mistress to a father and son there. Weird, 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 crazy stuff. All right. So here we are. Here we are. We've got this king has showed up. This king has showed up and he says, well, I want to hear him too. Now, let me explain. Let's, let's go through the, 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 the Herods here, all right? If you got your notes, if you got your notes, say amen. amen. Let's run through the Herods real quick, starting at the bottom. Starting at the bottom. Herod Agrippa II. This was the one that just shows up. This is who we're talking about right here in this chapter. All right? He is the son of Herod Agrippa I. Imagine that, all right? 
Herod Agrippa II. And he's significant because this is the last one. When this Herod dies, there ain't no more of them. The Herodian dynasty is over with, okay? So this is the last one. He's with his sister Bernice. They have an incestuous relationship. All right. Now, King Herod I is the one that executed James. How many of y'all remember that? Several chapters back in the book of Acts. James was one of the first martyrs. Uh, he took, he took James and, and executed him and arrested Peter and was going to, was going to execute him. How many of y'all remember that? And God delivered him. This is the same one. This is the one, this is the one, King Herod Agrippa I, which is Herod Agrippa II's daddy. He's the one that gave the speech in the theater in Caesarea. You remember when he was wearing, he was wearing the garment that was shining in the sun and he was speaking and he was, his speech was so wonderful. Everybody was calling him a God and he, he was soaking it all in and he didn't give God the glory and God killed him and he was eaten with worms. That's him. That's this, that's this Agrippa's daddy. Okay. How many of y'all remember that? Say amen. Okay. Well, King Agrippa II, he was only 17 years old at the time. All right. So instead of taking over, taking over the throne and inheriting Judea, they, the, the Roman government felt he's too young for that. There's no way at 17 years old he can handle that. And I would agree with him. Say amen. And so they put him in charge of a little, uh, uh, a little parcel of land up toward the north, up really in modern day Lebanon, in the southern part of Lebanon, a little section there. And then he showed himself to be a, a, a good ruler and, and they gave him some more land there in Galilee. All right. So, so that's why he's coming to meet the new governor. So instead of having a king, the Romans put procreators or governors over the different areas. We know of how many of y'all remember Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate, uh, Felix last chapter, right? Uh, good old Festus. All right. Those are three names. Those are three names. I think there was 14 of them all together, but these are the different governors. Okay. So King Herod and Bernice are coming to greet and kind of, you know, pay a social visit and, and meet the new governor here in Caesarea. That's how this has taken place. Now, does that make sense? Say amen. Okay. Let's look at the other, let's look at the other Herods. <clears throat> we got Herod Agrippa the second, who we're fixing to see. Herod Agrippa the first, who was killed and eaten by worms, executed James and imprisoned Peter. And then we have Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas. He's the one that killed who? John the Baptist. How many of y'all remember? Got drunk, was watching uh, his, his, his stepdaughter danced seductively and, and promised her the world and said, I don't want the world. I want John Baptist's head on a charger and took and beheaded John Baptist, a wicked dynasty. And then obviously, obviously Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the one who built uh, uh, Masada. He's the one that built the palace there in Caesarea. Uh, he, he was a builder. He was an architect. He did incredible things, but he was crazy. He was a madman. He is the one, he is the Herod that killed all the babies in Jerusalem when the wise men tricked him and didn't tell him where baby Jesus was. How many of y'all remember that? So, so this King is from a long line of wickedness. Okay. Can we, can we just agree on that right there? All right. Now let's go back to, let's go back to where we are. King Agrippa the second. He shows up. He is here. He is here with his sister Bernice. 
uh, to greet this new governor, uh, Governor Festus. Festus isn't really sure about what to do about this deal because you got the Jews on one hand, you know, they, they, they are just one step away from a riot and a mob scene. And then you have a, a sure enough true blue Roman citizen over here who's been incarcerated all this time that he has to do something with. He's got to either find charges with him or let him go, but he's got to keep peace in the area. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of don't know what to do. That's where we're at. Okay. Now, when King Herod shows up, this, this, is, this is good. This is good for Festus because King Herod knows about Jesus. He is familiar with the tradition of Galilee. He's familiar with, with what has happened. He's familiar with the miracles. He's familiar with all that went on. Keep in, keep in mind, he grew up in that area. So he's very familiar with Jesus, the apostles, the disciples, and Christianity itself. Are y'all with me? Say amen. So what does Festus think? All right. I got somebody that knows something about all this because here's the deal. Festus, he loves Roman law. But he don't care nothing about religion. And he thinks all of them are crazy that somebody's going to get up from the dead. They're just lunatics. They don't know what they're doing. They're crazy. He doesn't care anything about their religion. He doesn't care anything about their temple. All he cares about is keeping the peace and making sure he stands good with Rome. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And so here we have somebody who knows something about this. So he says, I tell you what. And King Herod hears, he, he presents all of this to King Herod. He tells him what has happened. He tells him about the Jews' accusations against the Apostle Paul. He tells them what they're saying. He tells them that Paul's denied everything. He said, I'll be honest with you. I don't even know what to do. He's appealed to Caesar, so I'm going to send him to Caesar. But the only problem I have, if I send him to Caesar, then I got to have charges against him. And I don't have any charges against him. Now, that's kind of a lie. That's kind of a lie. He had plenty of charges. They brought all kinds of charges. What he didn't have was evidence. Amen. And so he says, what do you, what do you think? And so King Agrippa says, I'd like to hear him tomorrow. I'd like to hear him. I'll, I'll hear his story. So here they go. They plan it. Okay. You're going to hear him tomorrow. That's where we are. Okay. That's where we're going to take up this, 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 this lesson tonight. And we're going to start right there. We're going to start with the meeting, okay? And we're going to look at three contrasts. Now, what is a contrast? Looking at the difference between A and B. Does that make sense? We're going to look at the difference between this and this. That's what, when you're contrasting something, we see three different contrasts here in this particular chapter. So let's look at the end. Let's look at the end of chapter 25. All right, verse 23. Verse 23. When you get there, say Amen. It says, and on the morrow, when Agrippa, remember, Agrippa II, shacking up with his sister, Agrippa was come and Bernice. Every time you see one, you see the other, okay? With great, what's that word? Pomp. Now, this word is the word fantasia or fantasy, where we get our word fantasy. In other words, they got all made up. You, you hear the term pomp and circumstance. It was basically what we would call in the South, just a big dog and pony show. 
All right. They just put all this together. They put their best outfits on. They put their most shiny uh, uh, buttons on, put their biggest crown on. And they were decked out in royal array. Basically, they're saying, look at me. He didn't learn nothing from his daddy, did he? And so here they come with all of this pomp. Now watch. And was entered into the place of hearing with the chief captains and the principal men of the city. Now, how many of y'all know they was decked out too? They're making this a big, huge public ordeal. Now watch, here's what I want you to see. Number one, I want you to see the contrast of characters. The contrast of characters in this story. The first thing we see, if you're writing this down, I want you to see the pompous audience. The pompous audience. I see, I see arrogance. I see a lack of humility and a lack of pride. I see humanity basically full of himself. How many of y'all can see this? The apple, the apple don't fall far from the tree. His own daddy was killed and there's a great possibility. There's a great possibility that they were in the theater where his daddy died for the same reason. How crazy is that? So here they are with all this pomp and circumstance, all this big, arrogant show. Look at us. We got all the big wigs, all the big dogs, all the important people. All, are y'all with me? Come on. I'll read it again if you need me to. Chief captains, principal men. We see a pompous audience. But then it says, then Festus, at Festus' commandment, Paul was brought forth. So we have a pompous audience, and then we have a plain apostle. We have a plain apostle. Now, while you're writing that down, let me describe to you the only description of the apostle Paul that we have from an early church writer. In an early Christian document, the Acts of Paul, a description of Paul is given. It says, a man of middling size, and his hair was scanty, his legs were a little crooked, and his knees were far apart. He had large eyes and his eyebrows met. And his nose was somewhat long. Yeah, that sounds like Festus, don't it? This kind of goes, this kind of goes with 2 Corinthians 10, 10. They made fun of Paul and mocked him and said, for his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. In other words, they're saying he's ugly and got an irritating voice. <laughs> so on this side, on this side, we've got a king, a governor, chief men, principal men of the city, Decked out in all the array and all the get up and they're, they're shining and decked out. And over here, we got a short, fat, bow-legged, 
balding, big nose, unibrow preacher. Now think about this. Can you imagine this is what all the audience was doing? Just what you just did. They probably thought this is the most pitiful thing I've ever seen. All of these powerful people in all of the, can y'all see this? Y'all got to use your imagination. Come on, don't, I, I, I'm going to only help you so far, but you got to help me, all right? I mean, they're just built, and here they are, and here you've got this really pitiful, pitiful looking, simple man of God. Now, when we, if we was to stop right here, if we was to stop right here, it would, it just, well, he ain't got a chance. But by the time we get through with this thing, they're trembling and he's standing tall. Now, the reason I'm giving you all this right now, I'm not trying to be funny and I'm not, I gave you exactly what we know about this situation. But it, he looks outnumbered. He looks overpowered. He looks out of place. He looks like he can't. But let me tell you something. Do you know what the first thing he says when he said, okay, you can speak? You know what the first thing he says? I am happy to do so. This preacher who comes out in chains, most likely, and looks pitiful compared to everybody else, says, I tell you what, I'm ready. I'm ready. I am happy to speak for myself. Here we go. And he is supposed to be on trial. He's supposed to be being examined by this king and ends up examining the king. Because he takes his situation, he takes what he is going through, and instead of whining and complaining and saying, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, these are false charges, I don't know why they keep doing it. No, 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 no. He took this as an opportunity to fulfill what God said was going to happen in his life. Let me show you. You don't have this, so just listen. Watch this. Watch this. This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. That's COVID. Jesus didn't say that. Amen. Get my right notes here. Look here. Acts 9. This is after Paul's conversion. You don't have to turn. I don't have time for you to turn. Just watch me. Listen to me. Listen to me. All right. Acts 9. When Paul gets saved, he needs, God needs somebody to go disciple and mentor him to help him immediately. Okay. Well, y'all know he's out killing people. Okay. He's out killing Christians. He's trying to destroy this new Christian church. All right. Now this is what Paul, or excuse me, God tells Ananias. <clears throat> then Ananias answered the Lord. I have heard by many of this man, how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. And the Lord said unto him, watch this, what he says. He's prophesying concerning uh, the apostle Paul. Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Amen. What's he doing right here? He is before Gentiles. 
He is before a king and he's before God's people, the children of Israel. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Now, Acts 23, 9. Acts 23, 9. And I'm going somewhere with this. I know it looks like I'm all over the board right here, but I promise you I'm focused. I, we are going somewhere. Acts 29, or 23, 9. And the, or actually, it's Acts 23, 11. And the night following, the night following, we just, we just covered this several weeks ago. The Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. What did God tell him? First, God told him, you're going to you're going to preach before kings. You're going to preach before Gentiles. You're going to share the gospel. But before big, important people, not only that, but you're going to Rome. You're going to share the gospel. You're going to be a witness of me in that city of Rome. Now, what has just happened? What has just happened? We just, we just read what has happened. He said, I appeal to Caesar. Where does Caesar happen to be? In order to appeal to Caesar, where does Paul got to go? So God, <laughs> in that moment, I know a light bulb went off in Paul's head and said, that's how he's going to do it. That's how I'm getting to Rome. I'm going to Rome and, and the Romans have to pay for it. Are y'all with me? Now, we, we, we look at this and I, I, I'm telling you, when we look at this courtroom scene, this, this, this con contrast of characters, it looks bad for Paul. We got these decked out, important big wigs, big dogs standing here in all their pomp and circumstance and their arrogance. And we have this little old simple, poor looking, pitiful preacher. But in that whole thing, God's will is coming to pass. God's word is coming to pass. It looks like it's bad for Paul, but it's not. It's exactly what God said would happen. God is still in charge. And Paul sees this. And instead of, listen, it, it may sound in the beginning like he's given a defense for himself. But what he begins to do is share his story. And in sharing his story, he is sharing the gospel. Mm -hmm. Anyway, y'all ain't getting it. <clears throat> you will for us over with though. We see a plain apostle, a pompous audience. But then I want you to see this. Not only the contrast of characters, but number two, I want you to see the contrast of conduct. The contrast of conduct. Paul begins to describe what he used to be. He is given permission to speak in verse 1 of chapter 26. He says, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself. He said, I think myself happy. I'll be glad to. I'm ready. Because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things wherever I am accused of the Jews. Especially because I know thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. See, he knows. He knows he's dealing with somebody besides Felix and Festus. He's dealing with somebody who knows about the, the Jewish customs and traditions. He said, my manner of life, my manner of life. And this is what I want you to write down in case we run out of time. I want you to write this down. A, 
In the contrast of conduct, I want you to write this down. I want you to see his past conduct. His past conduct. Now, what do we do? What do we do? What are we trained to do? All you DMD people in here, you disciples making disciples, you're, you're being trained to be a disciple that makes disciples. When you tell your story, what are you, what are you, what are you taught and trained to do? You tell what you used to be. You tell what your life was before Christ. Y'all with me? What, what, did, what, did, what, did Jesus, what did Jesus tell the demoniac? What did Jesus tell the demoniac? Go and tell your family. Go tell them your friends. Go tell them how good God's been to you. Now, in order for him to tell how good God's been to you, he has to tell how bad he was. Are y'all with me? So what does Paul do? He starts with his past. He said, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. My past manner of life. From my youth, which was at the first among my own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. In other words, he's saying, I was very religious. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. Now, see, this is where he's saying he is going to, he's going to, he's getting to the point where he's showing, look, I'm more biblical than they are. They're, they're holding and accusing me of what our fathers taught us. All right, now watch. He says, under which promise our 12 tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. And what he is referring to is the promise of the Messiah. Are y'all with me? Y'all still with me? Y'all ain't asleep, are you? He said, listen, the only thing I believe is what our ancestors believe. The only thing that I'm teaching and preaching is what they were hoping to come. They were hoping to see it, but King, I got to see it. Because God promised that he would send a Messiah, and that's all I'm representing, is the hope that they look to see. Verse 8. He said, he said, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which also I did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints, he's still, he's still dealing with his past, guys, his, 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 his past conduct. He said, many of the saints that I shut up in prison having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. I punished them oft in every synagogue. And I compelled them to blaspheme. Now what that means, guys, keep in mind when he says I compelled, that means he tortured. He tortured people to get them to deny Christ. I compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Whereupon I, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests. So what's he saying? He's, he's describing his past conduct. He said, let me tell you something. I was very religious. And he said, I was very cruel. And he said, I thought the best thing I could do was destroy this new cult Christianity. And he said, it was because of me that many died. I tortured them. He's describing an awful, awful past. He said, preacher, why are you, why are you emphasizing that? Because some of you in here has got a past. This, 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 in your mind, this, 
the end of the world. Well, I dare say that anybody, anybody in this auditorium can say that their past was as awful as the Apostle Paul's. He had an awful past. But then I want you to see this. He had a powerful conversion. <laughs> and before I go any further, let me just run this rabbit. We just jump. If you do have an awful past, the apostle Paul said, let me tell you why God's, I'm paraphrasing this, okay, but it's there. Let me tell you why God saved a sinner like me, a chief sinner. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. If you're a chief, that means you're uno, uh, 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 numero uno. Number how you like that, Cesar? You got that? <laughs> Paying attention. In other words, there ain't no sinner any worse than me. Y'all with me? And let me tell you why God saved me. This is Paul. He said, God showed me as an example that if God can save me, if God can forgive me, there ain't no one beyond his forgiveness. Are y'all with me? God just went up. He just went up and just lined up the, the worst one of all and saved him so nobody else could have an excuse. Amen. And you say, preacher, I got a pass. Well, do what Paul said. Forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting those things which are behind. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. Amen. He said, how much more shall the blood of Christ purge our conscience from dead works that we may serve a living God? Amen. Well, we got that rabbit. Amen. We see a powerful conversion. 13. <clears throat> At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And, and let me explain that. Those pricks were a goad. It was, it was, wooden, it was wooden sticks with, with spikes in it that was pressed against the, 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 the oxen that would kick against the plow. And it would kick and it would hurt them. To keep them, it was basically to keep them from kicking the person doing the plowing and the plow itself. And, and basically, it was a no-win situation. The oxen just had to do what he's going to do because he wasn't going to stop. Does that make sense? And what Jesus is saying to Paul, he said, I don't know what you're doing because you ain't stopping what, this is good, what, what, what we're doing here. The church is going to live on. Now, now, watch this. And I said, who art thou, Lord? I love that. Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest, but arise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in 
me. Church, say amen. amen. A powerful conversion. Listen, there is nothing, there is nothing that proves conversion more than change. When people say, I've, I've been converted, I believe in Christ and your life never changed, I have a hard time believing that. Because the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I'm not saying you're going to get everything right, right away, but you're going you're gonna to start that direction. Amen. Now, watch this here. Here's the contrast. What was A? We see A. Okay, okay. <clears throat> Let's try it again. Say it again. One more time. B. Powerful conversion. You remember in DMD, my life before Christ, how I came to Christ. What did he just do? He told, he told King Agrippa what his life was before Christ, how he came to Christ. Y'all with me? Let's talk about that a second. Listen, everybody, everybody doesn't come to Christ the same way. Everybody's, everybody's life is different. Some people, some people was, was hung over in a, in a motel room and, and had a Gideon Bible when they got saved. Some people were on their knees in the living room with an evangelist preaching the gospel on the TV. Some people was in a revival service. Some people was in their bedroom at, on their knees beside their bed. Are y'all with me? Some people are complete Sure enough hoodlums when they get saved. Like my father. Never been to church. No church experience. Uh, 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 just, just, just a horrible, horrible uh, uh, behavior. And God saved him and changed him. But do you know God can save Sunday school children too? Listen, he'll go into the gutter. And get the hoodlum. He'll go into the church pew and get the hoodlum. You thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? Lost is lost. There ain't no good hoodlums and bad hoodlums. We just all hoodlums. Well, let's be biblical sinners. Sinners. And I, you know what? You say, preacher, I, 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 you know, I kind of grew up in a Christian home and I don't have that testimony like people do that God saved them, you know, out of. No, but you have a testimony that God didn't save you out of that. He saved you from that. So you still got a story. People make way too many excuses about not witnessing and not sharing their faith. Well, I don't know all the Bible verses. Well, do you know what happened to you? Do you remember what happened to you? That's all you got to remember is what happened to you. Just tell what happened to you. That's all Paul did. Y'all see him? Y'all see him quote any verses in there? He just said, this is what I was. And this is how I met Christ. Right? Powerful conversion. And then number three, I want you to see this. His present commitment. Look what he says in verse 19. All that God said from verse 16 to 18. Watch what he says. Where... Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient under the heavenly vision. 
but showed first unto them at Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying there was a contrast of behavior. He said, on this end, I was killing Christians. But when Jesus got a hold of me, I went everywhere telling everybody, you need to be a Christian. Over here, I was cussing Jesus, blaspheming Jesus. Over here, I was, I was blessing Jesus. I was trying to communicate Jesus to everybody I knew. He said, all I know, Agrippa, is something happened to me. There has been a change. There has been a difference. Ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus gets a hold of you, there will be a difference. We see the contrast of conduct. He is telling, let me tell you, and, and this is the cool part. He said, everybody here knows what I was. Everybody here knows what I, let me tell you how important this is. We got enough time. We only got one more point. We'll hurry. There's a gentleman, and I'll keep every name out of this. I don't, I don't, just trust me on this deal. There was a gentleman that myself and several others tried to witness to. <clears throat> he would all but cuss you out to all the rest of them. He didn't to me. He, I guess they would just say he knew I loved him, and, and, he, and, and, and I guess he thought I was sensitive because he'd hurt my feelings if he cussed me. But he, I don't know, but he never did. I'm just saying he never did. I, I witnessed to him. Invite him to church. And he would tell people, you know, when, you're, when you die, you're just dead. That's just all. There, there's no after. There's nothing else. There's no heaven. You're just. And nobody can get through to it. And I really begin to wonder, man, is this ever going to happen? Well, somebody he knew, somebody he knew that had a reputation for sin. I'll just put it that way. I don't want to describe it too much because some of you might know people. <clears throat> but just sure enough, I had a reputation for sin and a long time of it. Are y'all with me? Just a long time. Struggle with addiction, certain kind. Well, this was a mutual friend of ours. Well, that person, when we was in the other building before we changed and turned it this way, in a service one day, I seen him come down on a Sunday morning and weep his way to the altar. And in that altar, he got saved. I'm talking about I got the verily, verily kind. Y'all with me? And, and our other friend who everybody worked on trying to invite and all that, ain't no God, ain't it's just dead, you're just worm dirt. That was his favorite saying. I know it is crazy, ain't it? <clears throat> he said, oh, just give it a couple days. Oh, he's just doing that and made some crazy excuse. But guess what? Next Sunday came. He's in church. Then the next Sunday came and he's in church. And he just quit doing all that stupid stuff he did before. And he was in church again. And in church again. And it left our other friend 
Guess what? I got to baptize that friend. And this is what I truly believe with all my heart. I hate to admit this. I used to think I was a fairly decent teacher, preacher, soul winner. It wasn't my preaching. It wasn't my teaching. It wasn't my ability to soul win. It was the change he saw in the one he didn't think could change. And this is what he knew. There ain't nobody but God could change that hoodlum. And if he changed, it's got to be God. I'm telling you, this is the God's truth how it happened. And he died of cancer. And he's in heaven today. Not because I'm a good preacher or teacher or witness or anything else. It was because he saw an incredible change in somebody in front of him. So let me help you in here that claim Jesus and profess to know the Lord, but you live like an idiot. You're hurting the cause of Christ. Because what made that so important was because he had previously been around so many people who went to church on Sunday and did all the foolishness he did on Monday. So change is important. A good testimony is important. Paul said, this is what I, this is what I was before Jesus. I met Jesus. And this is what I was after Jesus. Amen. Now watch. Look at number three. We see the contrast of conclusion. The contrast of con- conclusion. How'd this, how'd this sermon turn out? He says, verse 21, for, this, for these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both the small and great, saying none of the things, saying none of the things which the prophets, excuse me, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. In other words, I'm just saying what they say they believe. That Christ should suffer, that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. I would love to be able to stop right here and say, and then they had revival. But that's just not reality. There's really two different responses he got. Look at the first. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus, remember the one that didn't really have much to do with religion, didn't care nothing about it. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee. You know what he said? You crazy. You have lost your, you, you have lost your ever loving mind. You're crazy. What's the first thing that happened? We see animosity. When you preach the gospel and when you share your testimony, you're going you're gonna to find some animosity. Everybody's not going to say, that's wonderful. 
Just this past week, when I was going to Tennessee with my uncle, I stopped at a donut store, and, 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 and there was a guy, I think he was from India, I'm not sure. Uh, but I asked him, I said, man, you know Jesus loves you? And he just laughed at me. He said, I'm a Buddhist. And just, you know, and, and, and part, the redneck part of me got mad. <laughs> the saved part of me got sad. And I said, do you pray? What do you what do? You, do? you know, I, I wanted to engage him. He said, well, I haven't been to a temple in a long time. You could tell he didn't, he didn't want to, he didn't want to talk. Then I talked to a lady <clears throat> at Walmart, invited her to church and, and, and everything, and she just turned her back. Wouldn't even respond. And you're going to get that. Don't be surprised when this world don't agree with you. Don't be surprised when, not just not agree with you, don't like you. If everybody's agreeing with you and tell you what kind of great person you are, you're not standing for Jesus. Because Jesus said, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If you stand for Christ, you will suffer for my name's sake. He experienced animosity. But then there's a contrast. Oh, Agrippa. Look at this. My soul. Look, at, look in, in verse number 25. But he said, I'm not mad. Most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things. See, he knew about Jesus. He knew about the apostles. He knew about the disciples. The king knoweth of these things. Before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in the corner. You know what he's saying? Hey, it's, none of this stuff was hidden. Go back to Jerusalem. You can find the cross. You can, you can find the place of miracles. You can find where he walked on water. You can talk to people who saw it happen. You can talk to people who, are, who knew Lazarus and was related to Lazarus and saw Lazarus come out the ground. Hey, this, this thing wasn't hidden. He knows. He knows. Then Agrippa. No, no, no. Excuse me. Back at verse 27. King Agrippa. Believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Now what's happened here? I'm, I'm late, but I got to tell you this. You remember in the Bible? You remember in the Bible where it says that in the last days, people shall heap upon themselves teachers having itching ears. What did Paul tell Timothy? What the word? Say it again. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when people shall heap upon themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, just tell me what I want to hear. Now here, there's a difference between preaching and teaching. I hear people, I say, oh, my, my, my pastor's more of a teacher. The Bible says we're to, we're to be apt to teach. We're, we're to be preachers with an ability to teach. Now here's the difference between preaching and teaching. And Paul proves it. 
Teaching is, this is the information. Preaching is, this is the information. Now, what are you going to do with it? Preaching will get in your face. Preaching will park in your driveway and beat the horn. Preaching will get personal. Preaching will apply to your situation. Preaching will cause you to have to make a decision. What did Paul do right here? Agrippa. Hey, hey, king. You believe it. What's happened? What's happened? What's happened to the pomp and circumstance? What's happened to all the glory and the arrogancy? And the, listen, they're crowding down. They're cowering down in the man of God who is simple and ugly and looked down and pitiful. He is now standing in authority and challenging a king and saying, make up your mind. Whoo, I feel a God bump right there. Just stand for God. It doesn't matter what the circumstances look around you. It doesn't matter if it looks like you're outnumbered. It doesn't matter if they look pompous and you look pitiful. You stand for God because God has a way of changing circumstances. And he challenges that king. And I know he's pointing in his face. And he's given him an opportunity to believe. He's given him an opportunity to repent and turn to God. And the saddest words any preacher will ever hear, almost, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. We see animosity with Festus and we see apathy with Agrippa. We're living in an apathetic world, ladies and gentlemen. They're apathetic toward the gospel. They're apathetic toward truth. But let me tell you something. Truth will stand when the stars fall. I know, I know you believe the prophets. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, things change in a hurry. Stand for God. 